Yes, the nuclear pod blast is back. This is your host, Andrew Sample. The first episode of 2023, yeah, it's been a few months, but we've been busy. We've got four guests and interviews lined up for this episode, including Dino Cazares of Fear Factory, The Demolition Man, Tony Dolan of Venom, Inc., Got a chance to talk to Andy Marsh of Thy Art is Murder recently, right before they started their uh, North American tour for the 10th anniversary of The Hate Record, and the one and only Max Cavalera of Soulfly. Of course, out on the road as well, supporting the latest album, Totem, that came out way back in August of 2022. I've got plenty of great nuclear blast metal to play for you as well. Big news recently, Dino Cazares of Fear Factory announcing Milo Silvestro as the new vocalist for the band. Of course, he's out showing off Milo right now. Seems to be a great fit for the band. We talked to Dino uh, at the end of 2022, back when the Recoded album came out, long before the announcement, of course. It's great to get that cat out of the bag and great seeing the band back on the road. Also, it's great to see my friend Pete Weber of Denver's Havoc actually filling in on drums for Fear Factory on this run. So congratulations, Pete. Just a couple weeks ago, the guys from Arrival of Autumn dropped a new single called Scars from their upcoming sophomore record, Kingdom Undone, which is due out May 26th. There's a production video online right now for the song, as well as a playthrough video from the guitar players themselves. And Arrival of Autumn are a part of the Empire of the Blind North American tour, supporting Bay Area Thrash Legends and Nuclear Blast label mates Heathen. That run actually started last week in Providence, Rhode Island, and will end in Philadelphia on March 27th. A great band live if you've never seen them. So we'll kick off this episode of the Nuclear Pod Blast with that new single. So this is Scars, brand new stuff from Arrival of Autumn. And thanks for checking out the Nuclear Pod Blast.
This is the Nuclear Pod Blast, the official podcast for Nuclear Blast Records. Change the way. 
East Coast thrash legends Overkill will release their 20th studio album on April 14th, entitled Scorched, a very apt name. And that was the first single, The Surgeon, which has been out for a couple of months now. But man, this record is great. I got a chance to check the whole thing out just this week. You are in for a treat. If you're an old school Overkill fan, this album checks all the boxes. And for you young thrashers out there, you're going to love it too. Overkill are starting the Scorching the Earth tour one day prior to the album's release in Germany with other dates in the Netherlands, Italy, France, and Spain, and hopefully we'll see some new North American dates soon as well. We kicked off this episode of the Nuclear Pod Blast with a new single from Arrival of Autumn, Scars, from their upcoming record, Kingdom Undone, which is due out May 22nd. This is Andrew Sample. Thanks for checking out the Nuclear Pod Blast once again. Let's take a few minutes to talk about the Milwaukee Metal Fest. Yes, the legendary Milwaukee Metal Fest coming back. The original annual event ran from 1987 to 2004. That's back when Jack Koshik was running the show. And, you know, the Milwaukee Metal Fest for the longest time was the only annual Metal Fest here in the States that brought in uh, bands from all over the place. And Jamie Josta himself has bought the rights to the name And this year's event will take place May 26th through the 28th at the Eagles Ballroom, which has been the home of the Milwaukee Metal Fest forever. I've been to several Milwaukee Metal Fest. I believe the first one was in 1993. And you always get such a diverse lineup. So it's great that the Milwaukee Metal Fest is coming back. Check out MilwaukeeMetalFest.com for the full lineup, as well as a day-by-day lineup of bands. I remember seeing In Flames' very first U.S. appearance at the Milwaukee Metal Fest in 1999. Same goes for Emperor. Their first American appearance was at the Milwaukee Metal Fest in 1998, as well as Sodom from Germany that year. Tom Angel Ripper and crew had never stepped foot in North America. So again, there's a lot of history involved with this event. And for Nuclear Blast bands appearing at the Milwaukee Metal Fest this year, you've got Corrosion of Conformity, Lamb of God, who are one of the headliners, Machine Head, Fear Factory, Immolation is on the bill, Chemis from here in Colorado are also on the bill. Other non-Nuclear Blast headliners include Dark Angel, yes, Napalm Death, Anthrax, Suicidal Tendencies, Obituary, and Shadows Fall are also on the bill. So again, go to MilwaukeeMetalFest.com, grab your tickets, make your plans. Thank you, Jamie Josta. I mentioned getting a chance to speak with Andy Marsh of Thy Art is Murder recently, just a couple of weeks before they started their North American tour, supporting the Hate album, the 10th anniversary of the Hate record. So right after the interview with Andy, we'll play something from that decade-old record, Hate. Enjoy. Andrew Sample back with the Nuclear Pod Blast. Pleasure to have Andy from Thy Art as Murder currently, and you're gearing up for this huge one-month-long 26-date Decade of Hate U.S. tour celebrating the 10th anniversary of the band's Hate album. Uh, The tour is February 8th through March 11th. I'll be seeing you guys here in Colorado Springs at the Black Sheep. So congratulations on this tour, man. Look forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, it's... uh... I guess been a long time coming. Eleven years, almost to the month since we made the record. So to to kind of have it be ten years old and we're still doing this for a living is pretty cool. And the Black Sheep show sold out uh, long ago, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, I've got some rabid fans here. It's exciting. The latest single from the band 
All the way back in October of 2020, killing season revolved around the dark origins of the Thanksgiving holiday and that you wanted your fans to, quote, uh, think of the atrocities, both past and present, that deserve acknowledgement. And I've always been curious since that single came out, what was it about the, that particular holiday that provoked you enough to write an awareness song, so to speak, uh, about it? We made the song during Thanksgiving. <laughs> so That's it? I, uh, yeah, that, that was like the main inspiration. We're always looking for new ideas uh, of what to kind of talk about in songs. Obviously, we're limited by the, the paradigm that our band exists in. We can't do happy, happy, joy, joy stuff. So finding things that we care about um, and are relevant to us at a particular time are, are interesting. So we made the song over Thanksgiving in 2019, so it just kind of came up naturally that maybe we could make a song about that sort of brutality that went on. Gotcha. And was that a complete, uh, just a separate recording one-off song or did you do any other material? Did you demo any other material at the time? Uh, we did make some other songs at that time. That song was for another project that obviously got pushed back because of COVID. So we've replaced it with another song and hopefully that project will be released sometime in the next, uh, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Leads me into my next question about uh, when to expect something new from the band. I would say sometime in March, maybe around the end of the tour. Kubla Khan, I am Undeath and Justice for the Damned in support. I assume you guys will be playing the Hate album in its entirety at least, or do you have a special way of presenting that? What do you guys have in store? We will be playing it in its entirety, and we did try to think the best way to present it uh, in the live format. And we eventually just gave up and said, we're going to do it how it was on the album, play it start to finish. Uh, it was too complicated. We thought maybe we'd do it in reverse order, given that Rain of Darkness is such a uh, big song for the band. But we thought, oh, well, let's just play it <laughs> how people are used to listening to it. So, yeah, start to finish, got a little encore of a few extra songs, one from each of the other albums, which is nice. Kind of brings us from 10 years ago until about now and, then the tour finishes and hopefully we'll have some new music start hitting people's ears. I like it. Honoring it in its purest form, start to finish. Very nice. Um, explain how the band has grown as a writing unit over the course of your last 10 years. Um, not much has changed. I guess we've become a little bit more efficient at writing songs. We, we Our internal barometer of what we like is slightly better, I would say, if anything. We were obviously... T uh, probably 11 or 12 years younger when we made the record hate uh, from now. So you learn more about the world and more about yourself and what you like and dislike. It's become, it's hard to explain to people, you know, when you make a song or when you want to write a song, you have an idea in your head, but you might not necessarily know how to bring it to the world, how to make those sounds that you hear. Mm -hmm. I think if anything, not too much has changed about what we, what we like, but, we've gotten better at kind of performing the sounds that we hear in our head and how to find them on the guitar and put them into songs. After five releases and, and touring the world, what is one of the most important things you've learned about keeping your mental health in check, um, you know, while on the road or just dealing with the, you know, COVID or everything that has transpired for the band over the last decade? I'm probably the worst person to ask about that because... I'm relatively stable, I find, at least when I compare myself to my friends and peers and whatnot. And I'm a bit of a, you know, I just work through 
whatever issues I have, I'd say that it's really good to spend some time outdoors every day, read a book, disconnect from the internet. Um, but, you know, I guess these are things that I just do accidentally in my day. So maybe I'm already regulating myself. I do like to go for a walk with the boys every morning on tour to find a coffee. I do like to read a book before I go to bed every night in my bunk on the bus. And I get to do what I love for a living. So it's, you know, I guess I do have it pretty well. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have some annoying boss that's uh, telling me what to do and stay back late at work every night. I, I'm my own boss and I do have to work late every night. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as your own boss, your personnel has changed here and there over the course of the decade. Um, has is there ever been any sort of a comfort level of of stability with with a lineup, or or you just usually roll with the punches? I'd say that we've just been getting better at being our own little unit. The iteration of Thy Art as it is today is entering into its fourteenth calendar year, and we've had some of the same staff for that long also so growing together with a bunch of uh a bunch of people in a team for that long is pretty cool i suppose i've i haven't had like a regular job in those 14 years it's just been this so learning more about each other our strengths and weaknesses what gaps we need to fill by finding a new crew member or whatever and um how we can better put records together is has been like one of life's great challenges, I think, but also one of the more rewarding things I've ever done. Well, Andy Marsh, Thy Art is Murder, I appreciate you taking a few minutes before, again, the U.S. tour just kicking off here in a couple of weeks, February 8th. Again, I'll see you guys here February 18th uh, in the Black Sheep of Colorado Springs. So congrats on the tour, um, and look forward to hearing some new material soon. No worries. Thanks a lot.
Thanks for checking out the Nuclear Pod Blast. Music to mangle your minds.
Everybody's just raving about the latest In Flames record, Foregone. Of course, kind of a return to the old days. Uh, lots of speed, lots of aggression, some death metal vocals from Anders. That track was Meet Your Maker, In Flames on the Nuclear Pod Blast. Thy Art is Murder before that with Reign of Darkness. That comes from the Hate record that just celebrated a 10th anniversary. And of course, the band was just supporting that record. With a tour here in North America, I saw them at the at the Black Sheep here in Colorado Springs. Sold out crowd. The band was just awesome. And most of those shows on that latest run were sold out. So great to see Thy Art is Murder still pulling big crowds. Speaking of that In Flames record, if you go to shop.nuclearblast.com, you can get that double vinyl version of Foregone, as well as plenty of other goodies. I just saw they had the Septic Flesh Modern Primitive vinyl box set available, as well as the Torn Arteries vinyl box set from Carcass. If you're a big Machine Head fan, the Of Crown and Kingdom box set is available. Uh, I saw the Venom Ink, there's only black, 2LP splatter vinyl, as well as a 2LP splatter vinyl for the Halo effect, Days of the Lost. You should probably head over there and spend some money. Shop.nuclearblast.com Since we started the Nuclear Pod Blast uh, a few years back, we've had Max Cavalera on the program a few times, and always a pleasure to talk to Max. Still such a dedicated and hungry metal fan and musician. He doesn't seem to take anything for granted. The fact that he still gets to the fact that he still gets to tour the world and deliver metal to audiences night after night. That's what he lives for. That's what we all live for, right? So I'll play you my recent interview with Max here in a few minutes. But first, something from the Totem record. This is Filth Upon Filth on the Nuclear Pod Blast.
Hey, it's Andrew Sample back with the Nuclear Pod Blast, and always just a great, great pleasure to have Max Cavalera as a guest. Um, thanks for taking the time again, Max, uh, as we're set for this uh, huge 57-day tour of the U.S. Thank you, brother. Good to be here talking to you. Um, yeah, very excited for... I'm calling... I'm, I'm nicknaming the tour the longest fucking tour ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, super. I'm super uh, excited they're very happy with uh, with totem we're finally get to do a proper totem tour we haven't got to do that yet last year so uh it's uh looks looks like gonna be a lot of fun a lot of dates and we get to play a lot of stuff out of totem man it's gonna be great and the tour really doesn't have three different legs but you do have three different opening acts uh throughout you've got body box on the first third skin flint uh supporting after that and then drift as the final support band for the last third of that tour how did you uh how'd you guys come up with these bands throughout the course of the of the 57 dates yeah i mean like we like to always kind of keep an eye open and i myself i'm a big metal fan big fan of the underground so one of the the two bands i was involved in personally was body box and skin flint we toured with skin flints before they're from south africa uh they're really cool um i discovered body box last year i i really liked them a lot kind of new fresh old school death metal like reminds me a little bit of 200 stab wounds and we took 200 also on tour last year that's right and uh don't know much about drift but but i'm very excited it's it's cool it's always awesome that soulfly always try to bring upcoming bands and get the fans to get a taste of some of the stuff that's happening in the underground um and i would not change that i think that's I've been given a lot of chances when I was coming up with a lot of tours back in the Sepultura days. It's kind of like the same mentality, just keep, uh, you know, helping out the younger, younger bands, younger generation. You know, you're right. This is nothing new for Soulfly, taking out a lot of the younger bands who either don't have any records out or just one, maybe two records. So kudos to you guys for always championing the underground and what's coming up. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun doing that. And I know that we're going to get along we always really easy going on the opening band. We just like to hang out and have fun and enjoy the tour as much as we can. It becomes like a big family, you know, everybody helping each other out. I've been there, so I kind of know how it is to open and it's not always easy. So I am very excited to, to, to read the road again. Last year, of course, I did a lot of stuff with my brother with Beneath the Remains and Arise. We ended the year with Soulfly stuff. We went to, to Australia and Japan. But yeah, doing this long, long American tour. <clears throat> I, I couldn't believe when I saw the dates. I was kind of like, for, kinda, it kind of freaked me out a little bit first. I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of freaking <laughs> not a lot, lot of shows. There's a not, not a lot of days off, no. Not a lot of days off and a lot of fucking shows, but it's cool. <laughs> and some of the places are smaller venues. I love that because you can really just feel the the crowd you know it's like we play so fly we did two nights at sun vitus in brooklyn and that was one of the coolest shows people falling on my pedals and <laughs> spilling beer on my head and 
kind of everything goes kind of atmosphere is even a little bit dangerous you know it's like there's a little danger element in the air but it's cool it'll be great for the american audience to uh see the new material for the first time uh, totem came out what august 5th i believe um of course via nuclear blast and you know i think what really sets that album apart the production from arthur rizik you know really added i think a new a, a different element to the soulfly vibe at least something newer over the last course of the last few records so I think it was an immediate attention grabber. So how did it come around to you guys actually using Arthur for the record? Yeah, I call him the the, the wizard of sound, you know, because I think he's kind of a wizard, man. He's so <laughs> he's so knowledgeable, but his approach is so opposite of other big producers that I use in the past. He's so not like that. He's like, the way I see Arthur is like that old friend from high school that... I haven't seen in 20 years, but we grew up listening to metal together. The reason why I first fell in love with metal, right? It's that pure being of just loving the aggression, the speed, and the brutality and the fun of playing metal for no other reason. You know, you're just doing that because that feels like freedom, you know? And and Arthur, I think he brought that to Soulfly that we really never had it before. The record was done in different phases. So the first phase was me and Zion together for like six months. We were kind of like Dark Throne, just two people going at it every day in a little jam room. And we we kind of carved the skeleton of the record from those jams. And then Arthur comes in and he kind of, it was cool because he was a producer, but he also played guitar. So mm-hmm. we kind of, we sat down and, and riff out together and it, he was doing solos right there in front of me, and there were some very cool moments during the record. I remember it was one one was in the song "Scarring the Vile" that has John from Obituary. Yeah, I love that track, track number uh, two. Right, yeah, I mean, it was like we need, we were in the middle of the song and we needed an old school riff, and he's he, Arthur looks at me, he goes, "Come on, Max, give me the old school." 17-year-old Max Cavalera riff <laughs> that's going to melt my face. And I just grabbed the guitar and went for it. And, it. and it was just like, he was so happy just to watch his reaction, getting that riff out of me. Because it's a combination of that, you know, like the, the riff would, maybe would have not come out by itself. It was him kind of like... Coaxing it, yeah, ask, yeah. Yeah, ask, asking for the riff and me going, oh, it's... Is this what you want, motherfucker? Is conjuring. this what you want? <laughs> you know, yeah, conjuring, man. It's like like two, total total magic moment, you know, and, and both of us just going, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, this is great. This is the, the coolest <laughs> thing ever, you know. So uh, there was a lot of that on the vocals. Uh, I love the production, too. I think this the way he, he produces the records is it's, it's, it's really pay attention to detail, but in a very underground way, the the vocal effects that he puts in is very old school delays and echoes and backward reverbs and backward vocals. All that, yeah. all that shit that I love and yeah. that a lot of produ- producers don't care for. It. I remember, I don't want to mention any names, but doing other records where I had to ask the producer, can you do something with my voice? Like a, some kind of delay or something? And they were like, they didn't care for that. It's like, for them, it's, that's like the, the least important thing. Where with Arthur, that was a huge thing. It was like, this is cool. This is what makes metal fun. It's like those little, you know, dorky, very nerdy kind of things that 
only a, 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 the fan of metal really get to enjoy that, but it's really cool. Well, you know, the Totem songs are so deep and vast with with style that it's only complimentary that you get a producer who can add that sort of touch here and there to kind of complement the, the the deepness of the record. Yeah, and we, we kind of went for a lot of times where we, we started a song and, and halfway to the song, there was, I don't know where the song is going to go. I have no idea. It's like, it's an open road. Like, it can go there's two different ways this thing can go now and and it was cool to have that kind of almost like an option to do whatever the hell we wanted with it and there's one song i think was uh it's it's this it's, it's in the song totem where i just told zion do a drum solo you know and he looked at me kind of like what are you talking about it's like like a, like the end of the show when you fucking go off like a like you just like go a off crash on the drums. and burn ending or something yeah yeah just like just like like Totally, just lose your mind on it. Just go for it, and we put that in the middle of the song, and he did it. And it, and and then Arthur put some phasers and flangers and shit on it, and that's kind of like to me is the spirit of the record. It's a bit like like wild like that. It's like not really. It's not really mapped out perfectly. We didn't know what we were doing, kind of thing. It's like jumping from a cliff, you know. You're just jumping. Hopefully, you're gonna land good kind of blind faith kind of record. And I, I love that, man. I love that, that the record has that very kind of primal spirit in it, you know? And I think that's, to me, those are the most fun records to make is one like that, when it's like l- less predictable. I don't even know where the song is going. I'm just going with it. Like the song is gonna eventually take me to a place. Like, let's just go and see where that's at, you know? And it's, it's a bit like also, like I'm, I'm pulling for one thing, and Arthur is pulling another thing, and Zion is like also some ideas as well. So the three of us bickering over That's true artist collaboration, right? And then you know, in the end of the day, kind of like you compromise on, on 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 something. One of the funnest songs to make was the damage done, because that didn't have nothing. He Arthur's like, I want a song where you don't have, you don't even have one riff. There's not, we don't have nothing. It's a blank canvas. And then let's start with, give me one, give me a riff, you know? And so I just made the opening riff. And it's like, all right, let's, uh, the next thing, let's put another thing on. Let's put another thing, just keep building and building, like a, like building a pyramid, you know? Um, and that was that song was entirely done in the studio. It was cool. Well, you mentioned it when we started talking about last year doing dates with your brother and the uh, Beneath Arise tour. Man, that's one of my uh, big regrets for, for shows last year is not being able to see that tour. Um, I did not see the Beneath the Remains tour originally, but I did see the Arise tour. Um, the new Titans on the Block show, um, right. I think another another tour that supported that record. So I can only I, I think back thirty years to the energy in the room. Um, I saw the the new Titans show twice, the Vic Theater in Chicago, and then at the Cotillion in Wichita that summer. Oh, wow. So I just the energy Good. was so intense, and I'm thinking thirty years later those two up there playing those songs again. So obviously you guys rehearsed for that, but once you started playing in front of those crowds, you know, can you share a little bit about that, how that felt? Yeah, I mean, we were just like trying to pay some kind of homage to those records, you know, that people, a lot of people really want to hear them with, with me singing and playing guitar and with Igor's drumming. That's the closest to, to the original that you can get. 
and and I think that was kind of like the the idea. I think even came from Igor. He went to watch uh, Black Flag play in London, and they did something similar. Mm-hmm. And Igor was Igor was telling me that he deeply touched him in the heart when he saw that. It was like the, the guys from Black Flag, but they're older now, but they're playing all these old songs, paying tribute to them. And it, and he said it was like like life changing experience that he 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 got to experience so we want to kind of do something like similar to that so that was the idea of going out and playing those records and we you know we decided to do both of them together which ended up being like really cool because beneath and arise they're very similar anyway they were creating the same era mm-hmm. that's that's that it's got that death trash element all throughout the whole record you sure know? it's like borrowing a little bit from death metal and a, a little bit from thrash metal and putting it together but i have to say some of the best uh shows i played in a long time or those shows especially the maryland death fest something happened that day man i don't know the the, the stars must be lined up but we had this immaculate fucking concert where you could not you if if i wanted to fuck up i couldn't do it it was one of those there's like it's a perfect fucking set a perfect crowd there's guys from all these other bands watching us and yeah. losing their fucking minds and after the set everybody coming in you know come to talk to us like dude i grew up with those records the, the, the guys from blood incantation and and the guys from from uh necrot and and full of hell and all those those killer bands are all there watching this thing and and, and it was a very memorable show. We didn't have time to play the whole set, so it was a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. but it was just like one song after the other. I didn't even talk to the crowd. It was like, okay, that's not, I'm not even going to speak to the crowd. Let's just play. Killer. And it was just like, just punching, just beating them m- merciless. You know, it was, <laughs> it was fucking great. Like, like I said, I just, at this point in my career, I, I think I'm so lucky that I get to do those two things. I get to, I get to experience my past stuff I recorded years ago that's still re- relevant and still fun to play. And I get to to do new things like Go Ahead and Die and Killer BQ and Soulfly. You know, that's like the future, you know, present and future. But I also get to play those old amazing fucking records that people, people like us grow up with yeah. them, you know? You get to continue the legacy both ways. Exactly. The history both ways. I'm, very, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very lucky... An artist that I get to do that. Like I don't want to retire. I don't know how to do anything else. I'll get in trouble if I retire. So I I rather just stay in the course, man. Stay making records. Stay busy and stay touring. That's that's the that's that's the best thing for me. Well, it's five months old now, but congratulations on Totem, uh, the latest Soulfly record, and the upcoming tour starts January twenty fifth, all the way to April 1st, 57 dates. I'll see you, I think it's March 10th in uh, Denver. So look forward to saying hey to you there. And again, man, congratulations on just the momentum that you have from last year coming into this year, the new record, and look forward to seeing you on the road. Thanks, bro. And I want to thank all the fans that enjoyed Totem and it was really a fun record to make. Looking forward to to this year with the touring, a lot of touring on the table for us. Just just happy to be alive, playing metal, which I love. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> it's really, really uh comes down to that, just being just being happy with 
with what you have around with, you know, playing with with family, and friends, and seeing the yeah. the Soulfly fans everywhere. It just it just makes my day. It's just, it's really cool. I try not to take this for granted either. You know, talking to you and other musicians. So I feel the same yes. way. Let's just keep awesome, doing man. keep doing what we're doing. All Take right. Take care, my brother. Cheers, dude. We'll see you soon. All right, man. Peace. Clear Pod Blast.
Reincarnation from Beyond the Black, that record January of 2023. And this is Andrew Sample with the Nuclear Pod Blast. Soulfly before that from the Totem record. You heard Scouring the Vial with guest vocals from John Tardy of Obituary. Thanks again to Max Cavalera for once again gracing our presence here at the Nuclear Pod Blast. Always such a great interview. And I'm looking forward to seeing Soulfly in just a couple of days when they hit Denver. Without wasting any time, we've got the interview with the Demolition Man, Tony Dolan from Venom Inc., coming up in just a few. His second appearance on the Nuclear Pod Blast. Always such a fun conversation with the Demolition Man, so don't miss out on that. And from the latest record, There's Only Black, this is Venom Inc. with Come To Me.
Andrew Sample back with the nuclear pod blast and returning to the pod blast once again, the demolition man, Tony Dolan, Venom Inc. Thank you so much, brother, for taking the time once again. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. It's good to see you and hear you. And, uh, and uh, yep, it's all good in the world of black. <laughs> How's the new hip? F- fucking fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> can I say a fuck? Oh, well, I just yes, you so. can. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> it's absolutely fucking fantastic. You know, 15 years of walking on a crumbling hip, and the last two years was real difficult. 2019, we finished vacuuming, and I got the new one in. And uh, I was raring to go. I felt amazing. Um, you know, three weeks later, I was off my crutches. Four weeks later, I was ready to rock. And uh, and then fucking pandemic. So I had to sit back down <laughs> for two years. I was like, fucking that sod's lower, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, we've been rolling for a new few months now since the album. where We did a bunch of shows. Um, some black metal anniversary shows. Uh, we did, uh, uh, last week, we did uh, 1984 I saw um, that revisited, yeah. That was the keep it true, amazing. keep it true, yeah. rising, yeah. And that was all '84. That was great. I just watched the the footage from that a few days ago. Awesome, uh, brilliant. And we got to smash it at the end, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody does that anymore, Andrew. Nobody smashes stuff up. So the kids were like looking at us, going. Are these guys mental? It's like, well, in the old days, everybody smashed it, but now it's too expensive, so nobody <laughs> does. But uh, yeah, that was a giggle, and uh, yeah, so you know, uh, having you know Jeff feeling in good condition, you know, since his heart attack, and me with my new hip, fucking hell, we're like spring chickens. Well, the new album, uh, "There's Only Black," uh, September twenty third, that came out just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. It's been five years since the release of Ave. Congratulations, number one, on the album taking so long. I know uh, it's a good accomplishment for you. Uh, it must feel great to finally have the album out, not just because of, of the length of time between, but also being able to finally put an end to all this nonsense with some fans thinking that this is just a tribute band. Yeah, absolutely. The whole idea, you know, which was which was born in 2015, was I was asked to uh, I was asked to perform a show. Um, with with Jeff as Empire of Evil, and then the promoter said, "Look, if Mantis, if uh, Abaddon was there, would you guys consider doing like some classic songs, just a bunch?" So, you know, eventually we made it happen, and we did five songs, and that was that was it. We were going to walk away. Me and Jeff would carry on doing what we were doing. We had a new album we were working on, and um, and it just went the other way. You know, the fans, agents, promoters, everybody wanted a piece of it, and said, "Would you come and play?" more shows and so i thought okay well you know venom has such a rich catalog i knew Kronos was out there doing it and i thought well you know it, we, it's not like them and us i don't want to do that but um i'll just ask the fans then so i started doing online socials and just saying listen if we played shows what songs would you like to hear and every single song i swear to god everything or devil every single song we played was picked by a fan everywhere they asked us to go i took us you know the shitholes the good places the the back of beyond places it made no difference to me i said what to the boys what's important is every fan that has a piece of venom regardless of who was in when they were in or what album it is deserves to hear it live in front of them and so that was my thing and you know for me I knew I was going to be the one that would get kicked in the ass because, yo, you're not Kronos, no Kronos, no Christmas, no Christmas socks. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but to me, it's it's not about that. It's about the music, you know? 
And we, you know, we played to 60-year-old guys who stood there crying, saying they felt like they were 16. And we played to, you know, 17-year-old kids who just lost their mind. They don't give a shit who who it is up there. They just want to hear and breathe the music. And I think that uh, that's what what it's about, Andrew. You know, they don't want to know the politics. They don't know who likes, who doesn't like. They just want to hear the music live. And so that's why we exist. And so you know that whole. Though they're only this and they're a cover band, it's like blah blah blah. Yeah, that's that's just the politics. That's the propaganda being spun by people who are scared of whatever it is. But beyond that is a wider audience who aren't interested in the politics. They're just interested in it being live in front of them and having a piece of it. So that's what it's all about. This is fan driven. It always was fan driven. And um, if the fans didn't want to see it or hear it, regardless of what anybody on their throne thinks, if the fans didn't want it, we wouldn't exist. We just wouldn't exist. So the reason we exist is because of that. The first album wasn't planned. John Cezula, Chuck Billy kind of edged us towards that and, and eventually we conceded and Nuclear Blast took it up. But we didn't intend to do that. I just wanted to play live shows and play all of those great songs that people never were going to get to hear. Dead of the Night, Woman, Women, Leather and Hell, you know, I, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Lady Lust, you know, all the songs that you would never hear Venom play or you never got a chance to hear. Um, and so we'd just been playing live. Abaddon left didn't come back we got uh, Kling who was doing our sound sat on the stool as, mm-hmm. a, as a death it just kept going and going and going and all of a sudden pandemic gave us the opportunity to go well what are we going to do now we can't play live well we might as well start working on another album then and that's how it happened you know so well the first major difference with There's Only Black you've already said is uh is of course Anthony's not in the band anymore. But those yeah. of us that saw the U.S. tour in 2018, we saw him play with the band right away, um, yeah. the War Machine. So his delivery on There's Only Black, I think, sets the album even further apart from the Ave debut. And it's not that he's playing you know, a different style of drumming, but he seems to be definitely more of a precise player. Um, yeah. I think he chooses his fills differently, and I just yeah. think that he has, what he contributes uh, has a bigger impact with the music overall versus the debut. Absolutely, I think you're right. I mean, on the debut, the issue we had was, uh, uh, in order to do the demos, Jeff will program some drums in there, put a little bass line in, and then hand them out. So we can kind of hear where he's, where he's targeting his accents, where he's trying to go. Um, I, don't, I don't like to work like that, but that's how Jeff does it. So I just scrap all the bass straight away, listen to the guitar, and then I start to play it to that. The trouble for Tony was, you know, he's old school. Tony wants to be in a rehearsal room, booting around ideas, and then in the studio, he can't work to a click because he, he's not so precise. Mm-hmm. He likes to move and he likes to be all together. But of course, the way you work these days, that wasn't going to be possible. So he really, really struggled. And I offered to help him. And Jeff said he would do, you know, video calls and guide him through even when he was in the studio. Um, So I think Tony did the best he could. Um, I really do think he did the best he could, but he he just couldn't handle it, doing it that way. And uh, the result was not good. And um, at the end of the day, the label and the manager just went like, we can't use that. You're going to have to do something. So Jeff tried to work with Tony to get other stuff from him and it wasn't going to happen, you know. It, um, unfortunately for Tony, he he likes to 
he likes all the bits that it involves being in a band except playing the drums. <laughs> he finds that the most laborious thing. And, and what we needed was, we don't give a shit about the pussy, the alcohol, the fucking dope, the fucking rock star shit, the five star hotel. We care about the music. So we needed him just to be a drummer. So in order for us, uh, uh, at the time scale we had to complete the album, we had to bring somebody over from Germany who just worked on the digital kit that was there and made it sound more like a live kit. The difference is when you zoom forward to uh, uh, the new album, uh, There's Only Black, is Kling is a machine. He's a drummer and he's also a sound engineer. He has a studio. So basically he got the tracks and it was like, if you feel it, play it. And so his whole performance is how he felt it. And it, the energy he put in boosted our energy, you know, because we're old fuckers now. He's a bit <laughs> younger than us. So I think his input and his energy pushed our energy level up. And the result is the whole album because of that. So I think he inspired us to, you know, drive. And that's what should happen in a band. You know, I always push Jeff to be better than he is. He pushes me back and we try and get the best out of ourselves, you know, because it's like training in a gym. You 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 do you do nine reps. You could do ten, but you get to the last one and you're fucked. So you just stop. But your training partner, if he's there, you're not going to stop. He's going to go fuck it, and you're going to get that extra rep. Well, I wanted to ask also. Obviously, you and Jeff have taken care of the music writing uh, for both records. Was the was the process of writing different for There's Only Black versus the debut? Yeah, I think so because uh, because we hadn't planned the first album. Um, Jeff is always writing riffs and he records loads of riffs and his hard drive's full of ideas and I don't work like that. I kind of sit down cold on day one and I let the music happen and then once I've done that, I let the music tell me what it wants to say mm -hmm. and then once it's telling me what it wants to say, it also tells me what the title should be. Um, whereas Jeff works in a much more methodical way. So, um, you know, his sock drawer's really tidy. Mine isn't. Mine are all on the floor. That's it, it, it to paraphrase. That's a good analogy, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he was quite organized. He started throwing stuff together and passing it to me. And while he was doing that, I was negotiating the contracts for the album and uh, studio times and artwork and, you know, the live stuff and, and management. And so it, I had my hands full. On this one, it was a bit different because we wrote 24 songs. I had 12. Wow. And Jeff had 12 that he liked. So he pulled 12 out that he liked. I had 12 songs. So we recorded all 24. And then from that, we picked the ones that we thought would work in the theme of the album. And there is a theme to the album. You know, it's obviously based on his death. Um, you know, originally I was going to call it Nine. It was about Dante's Inferno, the Nine Circles of Hell. Mm -hmm. It was going to be part one and part two. So it's a, a journeyman album, you know, from birth to death and all the shit that hits us in between. Right. And how you, how you deal with that, you know, how you what you see, what you absorb from the world around you. Uh, and so that was where we were going. And then one afternoon he sent me a song and said, have a listen to this, see what you think. I had a listen. I went, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, fuck, yeah. Have you got any ideas on lyrics? And he said, actually, I wrote the lyrics and actually gave it a title. So I said, okay, what's it about? And he said, well, when I died, I didn't see any angels. I didn't see my mom and dad. There was no light. All I could see was black, this black vortex. There was only black. So I called it, there's only black. And the moment he said that, the whole thing made sense to me. And I went, that's the name of the album. I already visualized the cover. What is next? What is beyond? 
it, you know, um, what's at the end of the universe? What's in a black hole? What happens when we die? It's a personal experience. It's your experience. Much like when you listen, you know, you can get 50 people listen to Ace of Spades. They all hear a different album. It's the same album fundamentally, but you 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 experience it differently because it's a you know an emotional attachment we have to music. And so that bearing that in mind, that was the whole idea of the album was to go, look, it's an invitation into the blackness. You know, there's only black until you see the light, but it's your light, not my light. It's yours. What do you discover? Well, there is a lot of variety on uh, the new record, which is great considering the history of the band has always had slow songs, mid-paced, fast songs. Um, but honestly, Tyrant became an immediate favorite of mine after a couple of listens. I like how oh, it's brilliant. placed in the middle of the record as well to kind of break up the front half and the yeah. back half. So that's one that stood out for me. Oh, cool. That's great. Well, again, that's a that's a, a, a Jeff track, you know. He likes that big, uh, bombastic kind of seven gates of hell and all that. You know, he loves all that. So he wanted something just very simple, you know. And and listening to you can think, well, it's kind of flat planes itself. It, it doesn't do too much. It just goes from one to mm -hmm. the other. But then if you listen to black metal, to hell and back does exactly the same thing. Precisely. But it's about that driving. It's about the impetus of it. Each song has a reason it is the way it is. And uh, the, the discovery of it is within the lyrics to the song. Why is it like that, you know? Um, and I suppose, you know, Tyrone is quite nihilistic in a way, but then you look to the Middle East, you look what's going on in, you know, with those wars and, mm -hmm. and Iran and Syria and, and Ukraine with Russia and it's kind of nihilistic. It's kind of like, you know, it's like a bulldozer going across a field. It takes whatever vegetables are in there. It doesn't give a fuck if it's a, if it's a pumpkin or a fucking potato. <laughs> it just does that same thing. It doesn't care. And it just drives all the way through the whole thing, you know, and that's the idea. And like you said, a punctuation mark for the album because it can feel quite intense, you know, so we want to just, uh, just not put the brakes on, but just, you know, well, I don't know, slip down a gear or two just to let you get a breather. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Well, we uh, we talked right before the interview started about, unfortunately, the cancellation of the U.S. tour that was supposed to start oh. in late October due to, yeah. you know, visa issues and whatnot. Yeah. So, obviously, you'll be rescheduling that for uh, 2023. Yes. Being allies with America, it's, you know, when, when we went to Russia, it cost me 10 quid, about 12 bucks, and or 11 bucks at the minute or, or 10 bucks uh, and um i walked straight down there four hours later i had my visa when we went to china same thing you know these are communist countries you think oh i bet it was a bowling no you walk in i'd like to go okay give me your paperwork there's your visa fuck off and have a good time <laughs> and for america it's got you got like six months it cost, can cost up to 10 grand and then at the last minute they can tell you to go home it's like what what you know I mean, I guess if there was a wall, if there was a wall and we were close enough, I could just climb over the wall and, and claim <laughs> whatever it is, you know. But um, nothing we can do. But uh, we will be there, I promise. Well, Tony Dolan, the Demolition Man, thank you so much for taking the time again for the Nuclear Pod Blast. Uh, there's Only Black is out now. We'll see you soon over here in America. And best of luck with everything for the rest of the year. And thanks again for being a part of this, man. Love talking to you. No, you're, you're a diamond geezer, as they say here in London. And I look <laughs> forward to seeing you very soon. And thank you so much, Andrew, for having me on. And to all the listeners, keep supporting Andrew, keep supporting the podcast, keep supporting Metal, and we'll see you as soon as we fucking can. I promise you. Don't forget, 
regardless of anything else, there's only black. This is the Nuclear Pod Blast, the official podcast for Nuclear Blast Records.
The new album from Enslaved, Heimdall, just out a couple of weeks ago, that was Forest Dweller here on the Nuclear Pod Blast, and Tony the Demolition Man from Venom Inc. Always a great interview. Thank you very much, you diamond geezer. And you heard something from the latest Venom Inc. record, There's Only Black, before that with Come To Me. As I stated during the intro of this episode of the Nuclear Pod Blast, it was just a couple weeks ago where Dino Cazares announced Milo Silvestro as the band's new vocalist. And Fear Factory out on the road right now, killing it. And we got a chance to talk to Dino late in 2022 when Recoded came out. So, of course, long before the announcement of the new vocalist, he knew who it was back then. We we joked about it. I even told him after the interview that we may hold this episode of the Nuclear Pod Blast until the announcement was made. And sure enough, we did. And after the interview, we'll play something from the recoded record. So enjoy. And here's Dino. Dino Cazares from Fear Factory joining us. Thanks for taking the time once again for the Nuclear Pod Blast, man. No problem, man. It's always a pleasure uh, speaking to the, the NB podcast. We're a year and a half uh, past the release of Aggression Continuum, which uh, was received well critically and by longtime Fear Factory supporters. Uh, were the recoded ideas in the works back then when the album was being put together and released, or is that something that came about since then? It's something that came about right after the record was done and released. I was like, okay, we were still you know, in lockdown because of COVID. You know, you know, America wasn't sure what was going to be happening. So, you know, obviously a lot of bands weren't touring at the time when the record came out. Um, so we were like, I had this downtime. I'm like, let's, uh, let's do a remix, you know, let's do a remix, a few songs. And it started out where it was only going to be like three or four songs. But then I saw how well it was starting to come out and I decided, hey, I think I need to go further with this. And I need to start, you know, doing, a, a, you know, a full, a full length, you know, and I was talking to Monty Connor at uh, A&R guy uh, for Nuclear Blast, and I was like, you know, this is coming out really good. That's, I think I need to go further with it. And he said, go for it. He said, go for it. So I reached out to a few other guys. Um, obviously, Reese Fulber was was the first one that had already working on these songs. But I reached out to Zardonic, who I've been a friend, uh, fans with, uh, of his for the last you know few years. He put out a couple of records that were pretty badass. So were drum and bass mixed with guitars and stuff like that. I thought it was about this, I could work with this guy. And so I reached out to him. Then I started reaching out to other guys, you know, Blush Response, you know, which is uh, a guy named Joey and he's just amazing. And he's worked with the band in the past. He's done a lot of keyboard stuff with us uh, since like, I think, I believe, I'm gonna say Mechanize going on into um, Genexus and stuff like that. So he's been working with the band at some capacity or the other. And I decided to reach out to him, and he did Recoded, which is the title track, which is amazing. And then I reached out to Rob G, who has been a friend. Uh, he's been friends with my manager for, like, years. And I met him a few times over the years, and I was like, okay, this guy would be dope to have him on there and, you know, do his brutal, hardcore, you know, uh, uh, Netherlands-inspired GABA-type stuff. And then... um. Uh, also, uh, Zardonic and a guy named Dualized worked on Fuel Injected Suicide Remix, I Am the Night Rider, is it's called. And those two guys collaborated on that track, and they were just, uh, and it just came out amazing. Um, and Dualized, uh, his name is Giuseppe Bassi. He's been working with us for a while now for a couple of records. He's been doing some stuff for me on the side. So, you know, a lot of guys I knew, um, and some guys I didn't, I didn't know. And then, um, we reached out to this synth wave 
band called Turbo Slash. And uh, the track that they worked on is going to be on uh, only the vinyl only. So we kept a couple of tracks specifically for the vinyl. I saw there was a couple of uh, extra tracks uh, scheduled for just the vinyl. Well, that's cool. That was You answered all my <laughs> uh, questions about how you found the guys for the current collaborations. Um, I wanted to say something. that the, the late Vincent Gill was the inspiration for the song Fuel Injected Suicide Machine from Aggression Continuum. That was my favorite song, actually, on that album. And the remix version, I Am the Night Rider, uh, was also in uh, about him. So it must have been a brutal blow for you when that news came out that, uh, that he passed away recently. Yeah, you know, it happened after the record came out, after Aggression Continuum came out, you know. It was definitely an ode to, you know, him and, and of course, Mad Max, the movie series. Um, but the first movie in general, you know, just, uh, you know, you, you see him in the car in the beginning of the movie where he's just this madman and just terrorizing the city. And it, it's just uh, um, his perspective. The song is his perspective of what he is seeing and what he's going through. You know, when we did the remixes, it was like I wanted to bring more of his dialogue into the into the remixes. And you hear it at you hear it at the end as well, the very end of the song, you know, Ask the Tokata, he knows who I am. <laughs> I'm the night rider, you know. I so there's uh, some more dialogue of his in that in that song. Obviously, uh, remixing of Fear Factory music is nothing new, um, but what makes the album Aggression Continuum your choice for this as opposed to, you know, maybe a, an older or even classic Fear Factory release? Um, you know, well, first of all, the record is amazing, Aggression Continuum. I, decide, I decided that it deserved, you know, so remix is kind of like what we did way back with Demanufacture and Remanufacture, you know? Demanufacture is such a classic record, and, and, and Remanufacture also came became a classic yeah. you know, remix album as well. So I kind of wanted to do something like in that, in that sense, but um, bringing in new DJs, you know, new guys like Zardonic, who's really good in drum and bass. But there was one track in particular called Worthless, where it's completely out of his genre, because he's really, he's more drum and bass guy. But I was like, I reached out to him, I said, hey, look, you know, we need a, we need a synth wave track. Can you handle it? And he's like, well, it's not really my forte, but, you know, I'll give it a shot. And then he started working on it, and then it started to come out, and it was amazing. And I was like, so we worked on it a little bit together, and then, boom, the final, it was like one of the final songs that were completed for the album. And I was like, that's perfect. It hmm. came out great. So it's definitely a standout track, and I'm glad that we got to do it. So there's different elements that are on this record compared to some of the previous remixes that we did, you know what I mean? Uh, I was going to ask, you know, when you start working on collaborations like this, do you give any sort of blueprints or guidance, so to speak, to the to the remixers, or is that something you just like to let them have full reign of, of what they're doing? Uh, a, a bit of both. Um, like when we did, like I said, when I was telling Zardonic, hey, we needed a synthwave track, I was just giving him direction of kind of like what I was looking for, and I sent him other songs of other bands of examples of what I was looking for. Okay. So he was able to, you know, get into that mind frame and, and work on something that was really cool. Reese Fulbert, you know, song Path to Salvation, which is a purity remix, you know, I was like, hey man, do something like, you know, like something that you would hear in an industrial goth club. I said, go for something like that. I go do do what something like you were doing in um, Cyberpunk, because he worked on that mm -hmm. he worked on that sound soundtrack uh, for the video game cyberpunk and so i said 
do something in that style. So I was giving people some direction, yeah. Shifting gears, the debut Fear Factory album, Soul of a New Machine, uh, which is such a landmark release, not just for the band, but for metal in general, just celebrated its 30th anniversary back in late August. Now, when the band was putting together the album, recording it back then, did you think at all that you were going to, you know, in a sense, reinvent the wheel for extreme metal at the time? Um, No, no, I, I, I knew we had something killer. I knew that we had something amazing. I knew that, you know, we were blending in styles of everything that we liked at that time. There was grindcore, death metal, industrial, mm-hmm. you know, you know, goth with you know some of some of the Burton's vocals and you know some of the melodic elements and the clean voices and all that stuff. I knew that we had something going on that was special, right? But at the same time, I knew that we were, ex- you know, exposing this type of style to a lot of people who weren't really used to. A lot of the um, clean vocals, because you know we were, you know, because being on Roadrunner, we were tagged in with all the death metal bands, all the obituaries, sure. and all the suffocations, and all the deicides. So we were right in the middle of all that stuff. So fa- fans of those type of bands weren't necessarily into the melodic vocals. So you know, the same thing that we were getting shit for, you know, the melodic vocals was also the same thing that made it stand out. Absolutely. And so yeah. And so that really helped us. And then all of a sudden, you know, 1983, we released Fear is the Mind Killer, which was basically techno, rave, industrial, electronic, mixed with the heavy, brutal vocals with heavy guitars. Now, we're not necessarily the innovators for that, but we were definitely exposing that to a new, uh, to the genre that we were stuck in, which is at that time with grindcore death metal. So we were exposing that to them, and that was new to a lot of those fans and listeners of Fear Factory. And they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yep. so a lot of people were really turned Myself off. Myself included. Then, <laughs> I was like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, Demanufacturer came out, and it just hit. It was a combination of Solvenue Machine and Fear, Fear is the Mind Killer, and we were able to really hone into our style and really, really developed who we were, right? Mm-hmm. solidify what we were about and then boom it just gelled and it just i believe it opens a lot of people's eyes to you know what this what fear factory was about you know what i mean absolutely we always were innovators i think with each of the those first three records were you know there there there's a, a thread that is woven through those albums but you changed for every one of those releases um, so that was admirable at the time to take, you know, kind of a kind of a ballsy step with each each of those records into into different territories. Well, you know, at the time we had nothing to lose. We're like, hey, we had no fans. You know, a lot of people nobody knew who we were, so we had nothing to lose. So we just went balls out on everything. We just like fuck it, let's throw everything in the kitchen sink on these records, and then if people like it, then they like it. If they don't, then we're happy. You know what I mean? We weren't making any money at that time. We didn't have anything. Right. So we were like just, we were just happy that a record company was giving us money to make this art that we called Fear Factor. And boom, we just went with it. And we were just like, fuck it. This, this is sick. You know, and all of our friends and everybody who was around us at that time was 100% behind us all the way. And just having that confidence from your close friends and family, you know, really drove us uh, to create this art. And of course, you know, our fans grew and grew and grew and people really understood and really got into the band and sound 
and the concepts, you know, and, and what we were about. And then, you know, it just, it, it, it was, it was overwhelming to see, you know, the response that we got worldwide when the manufacturer came out. Right. Well, I lived in L.A. working for Century Media and Nuclear Blast at the time when um, when Obsolete, you know, um, was released. And, you know, you guys always had the respect from the L.A. underground, even when you your sound developed more into a little bit more of a commercial realm. Everybody still backed Fear Factory and everybody was always pushing for your guys success. So that was something that was um, I don't want to say rare, but it was just amazing to see the scene always were supporting you guys. Yes, um, we did have a lot of, uh, you know, we, we started out in the backyard scene, you know, just playing backyard parties. You know, we started there. That's where we started. And it was really cool because during Soul of a New Machine was, was probably the first time that we actually played a club in Los Angeles. It was the Roxy. Mm-hmm. That was the first club show that we had. And that was like early 92. And all the backyard kids that, that were there, that, that, that was there from the beginning, you know, seeing us play. You know, in, in people's backyards, there was time. There was this one time where I was playing this show, and we were on the concrete, but uh, in somebody's driveway jamming. And then I stepped on the grass that was wet. I was like, I got a little shock. I was like, holy shit! So even way back then, like one of our first shows, you know, and then you know, a few, you know, we released a record, and then boom, we got to play the Roxy. Boom! All those, all those kids and fans that we had all came out and supported us and we were like yeah this is cool very cool um you know one last question i know you announced recently you guys are going to go on tour uh with uh, static x i believe in yep. february and you're going to hold off on announcing uh the vocalist until right before and releasing the i think you're going to release a single right before the tour as well uh, are you starting to get <laughs> a little bit of a or have you started to get some backlash and some negative response from fans who have been holding out for so long uh, for this news? Well, we've been getting, you know, you know, but it comes from a good place. I've been getting a lot of negative reactions, but it comes from a good place because they're just passionate. They want to hear the the new singer. They want to hear, you know, how he sounds and blah, 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 blah. And I get it. Even though some people are like, what the fuck? What the fuck's the music? You fucking (laughs) said this. You fucking said that. What the fuck? You know, and so, but it comes from a good place. So I'm very happy that people are still passionate to hear the music. And uh, yeah, I can't get, I can't wait to get something out there, you know. Yeah, and you'll be able to support the aggression, aggression, aggression continuum uh, songs yes. finally on the road as well. Yes, um, you know we're doing the support slot for Static X. Um, it's going to be a great tour. It's going to be 42 shows across America. And, you know, we can't wait. Can't wait to get out there and can't wait to fucking play in front of everybody, man. It's been a while. No kidding. Can't wait to see you guys again. Dino, that's all I had, man. I appreciate your time for uh, taking taking the time for the nuclear pod, pod blast. So I can't speak this morning. And sorry about the noise <laughs> if you hear that. There's some construction actually going on outside my house today. How, how, how fitting, you know, a little bit of machinery going on while I'm, while I'm talking to Dino from Fear Factory. So thanks again, man, uh, for taking the time. Congratulations on Recoded, which just came out yesterday, uh, to be exact. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you on the road soon. And uh, I want to say thank you to all the fans out there who supported Fear Factory for the past 32 years. In a, on Monday will be our 32nd anniversary of Fear Factory existing. On Halloween. And on Halloween, yep. And it's been an amazing ride, and I can't wait to go even further. And I want to say thank you very much for your time. 
And thank you very much for that killer poster in the background. <laughs> Got to have something besides me to look at. So Is that James Mansfield? <laughs> it is. So. Yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> well, cool, man. Dino, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.
Fear Factory out on the road right now with new vocalist Milo Silvestro and Pete Weber filling in on drums. He, of course, is from Havoc, Denver Thrashaholics. So this lineup is a little different uh, on the road right now, but uh, nonetheless killing it. If you haven't seen any video online, just go check out the show. This is Andrew Sample for another edition of the Nuclear Pod Blast. Thanks so much for sticking around. We'll have Bobby Blitz Ellsworth of Overkill on the next edition of the Nuclear Pod Blast, so look forward to that, as well as some other guests. And to close out this edition, we'll do something from the reissued Dead Again record from Typo Negative. Yes, Nuclear Blast has reissued the Typo Negative classic Dead Again. The new version has plenty of additional tracks, including some great live stuff. And if you're a Typo fan, you can't miss out on this. And this is Halloween in Heaven. Thanks for listening to the Nuclear Pod Blast. Go ahead.